The sermon for the third Sunday in Lent is from the Gospel of St. John, chapter 2, verses 13 to 22. Uh, the sermon is entitled, Turning Tables. Grace, us and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In the beginning, the table was set. The power of God's word, thereby his word God said, and there it was, and it was good, land, air, sea, animals, vegetation of every kind, God said, and out of nothing our Lord created. And there our Lord would also create our first parents, Adam, and from his rib, Eve, And he said to them, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And the table was set. The clear command of our Lord for our first parents. Yet we know what happens next. The crafty serpent himself, the evil foe Satan, came with that table-turning question himself. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Delight to their eyes, this was. They saw and they took and they ate. And there the tables would turn. The consequential turn that would lead, well, to their own sin, death, Thorns and thistles, the sweat on the brow, affliction, suffering, pain, sorrow, brokenness, sickness. Too many on the list to name. But indeed, how the tables had turned. For once they were with one, they were with God, dominion over all things in creation. And now they were hiding and and blaming one another. Sewing fig leaves together, knowing of their nakedness, realizing what they had done and how the tables had turned because of what they had done, turning everything upside down. Yet there the Lord would give the promise, the table that would turn everything right side up. The promise of the first gospel there in Genesis 3, the great reversal That is the promised seed of Christ alone. And here today in John chapter 2, another turning of table of sorts. The very moment as Jews were celebrating the Passover, again, as we know the Passover, the gracious deliverance from Egypt as the Lord would uh, give to them uh, the land of freedom, right? the life of freedom, the new identity, all by way of his gracious and merciful hand. And how fitting it would be that at this Passover, there Jesus would be with them as the true Passover lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And there as he was going to the temple... As animals were being sold for sacrifices, monies were being exchanged for the common currency to pay the temple tax. There we see, well, Jesus saying, is my father's house a house of trade? And there he would overturn the tables. You know, the disciples remembered the very word from the book of Psalms, zeal for your house will consume me. Zeal. Jesus 
was doing radical things. All the meanwhile, the crowds were saying, who does he, who does he think he is, right? Coming in here and taking out the whip of cords, turning over tables. In other words, they were asking, who is this Jesus? Of course, this is the all-important question then and it is now in this day and age. Many people have different perspectives of who Jesus is. Some will say, well, he is only God. Others will say he is only man. And as a man, well, he shows us only as man the good example of how we ought to be. To live a life of morality, of goodness, all in hopes of, well, being good enough to merit our way to God. While others even say, well, that if we believe in Jesus, who is this Jesus, then we'll have some sort of prosperity or wealth or we'll have much good coming to us. But yet in this text, Jesus shows us who he is. He shows us by his very word. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up again. Because this is Jesus. He is the temple. The body is his temple. And the Jews were wondering, how could a temple that was built in 46 years be raised up again? Again, this is... Jesus speaking, not only would he die the death that no one else could possibly die, but he would, not, but he would also follow that up three days later to be the risen one. Really to bring us the great reversal. The one who turns the table for us. Now in this penitential season of Lent, we, we dwell upon why Jesus went into the temple. Why he overturned the tables, why he drove them all out. Well, because this is the one. This is not just anyone, but this is the anointed one, the Christ, set apart. The word made flesh there in the temple, there he would say these words that were beyond their human comprehension, their senses. In three days, he would raise up this temple that they would destroy. How could this be? Indeed, I mean, based on our own human reason and senses, we would probably ask the same question if we heard that word. And it reminds us how, how limited we truly are. Now, of course, our wisdom says we're not limited. Our wisdom says we are wise beyond our years. You know, we, are, you know we, we have the power, we have the strength, we can do this all ourselves. But at the end of the day, as we dwell upon this very word, this radical word of Christ, it really does show us how frail we are, right? Our sin condition. That rather than trusting in God's word, how we quickly trust in our flesh and how our flesh manifests, how we live, move, and have our being. So we love to play God, don't we? We love playing God by trusting in ourselves, by trusting in the tables that we think we can turn by our frail flesh. 
Yet here, the one true God, Jesus Christ, says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up again. You know, the beauty of faith is what? Is trusting in the radical words of God that are beyond ourselves. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the great reversal. This is, as we look in the, uh, the epistle text today, this is, this is a stumbling block for many. This is foolish, people say. But really, ultimately, how radical and beyond ourselves this promise is. But that's the beauty of faith, my friends. The beauty of faith is a faith that receives. Right? The nature of faith is what is given from above, from God to man. And that is the nature of the gospel, isn't it? We're not meeting God 50-50 at the middle of the road. No, we are dead in our sin. We need to be made alive. It is God for us, from God to man. And even when we look at the sacraments, of course, it is the nature of the gospel. There we see it. From God to man, he gives us his very gifts. The true body and blood, this is not symbolic. This is his presence with us, giving his very own body and blood for the forgiveness of our sins in this time and space. How radical is this reality in our lives? That we receive this very gift all for the forgiveness of our sins. Right now, Right here, by the power of God's word. How mysteriously powerful is that very word? And even when you dwell upon your baptism in this baptismal life, remember, this is not your doing, my friends. This is how God works. This is how God gathers you in by the power of his word. Again, This is the beauty of faith, trusting in the radical word and promise of what Christ has given to us, delivering us the forgiveness of sins. Because, friends, at the end of the day, we need those tables to be turned. We need those tables to be overturned. And it's only given to us by the very gifts of Christ from above, by his merciful hand. You know, our Lord, you know, as we spoke of creation in the beginning, he, he does breathe life into the world. But friends, your faith, it's, it's by the power of God's word that he breathes life into you. Because there is no other way. You know, if we really see in this season of Lent what our sin truly is, as we look in the mirror, there we see our greatest trust. As we look in the mirror, there we see our most tempting idol. As we look in the mirror, we see our pride, our arrogance, our independence, our autonomy, saying, I can do this myself. See, at the end of the day, the mirror shows us that we are sinners in need of a Savior. That we cannot remedy the chasm between God and man. We cannot turn these tables by our morality. Or we cannot rest on the laurels that, well, we're we're just good people. and, And that must measure up to something. No. We are broken and heavy laden. We are sinners. How convicting this is. Knowing that we need to be made alive 
And being made alive is not of ourselves. And there we are called, by the very word, to turn to repentance. You know, the disciples there, was, uh, they were remembering the words from Psalm 69, zeal for your house will consume me. Indeed, the zeal of Christ. The zeal of Christ that would not only do radical things that day in the temple, his actions, his words, wow, beyond the crowd's comprehension. And this would get him into great trouble. But yet by this very seal, even with the religious leaders on him, this zeal would, uh, of Christ would far surpass everything of this world. For his zeal would lead him to the cross. Now the zeal of Christ is the will of God. The zeal of Christ is the crucifixion. Think about that. The zeal of Christ is to be lifted high upon a tree willingly, sacrificially for you. That is the zeal of God. That he is the reversal for you. He is the blessed exchange. This is his zeal, is to be faithful to the end, to deliver you by his very blood, the forgiveness of sins. And by that very blood, writing your name in the book of life. Suffering for your sake. On the cross for you. you know, it is ironic, isn't it? But the crowds that day at the Lord's crucifixion, they thought they had turned the tables on Jesus. They thought they, they had finally got him. Oh, we, oh, the tables had turned the crowds of thought. We got him. We defeated him. We destroyed him. But no. This is the radical work of God. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up again. The true Passover lamb, the sins of the world, the radical work that no one else could do but only Christ in overturning sin and death by his, by his very own blood. Friends, this is the great reversal for you. Turning your life around. Our Lord turns you to the Christ, to his work, turning you from sin and death, forgiving you and giving you life over death. Thanks be to God. Because without him, there are no tables that are overturning. Without him, we are stuck in eternal condemnation. Without him and his work, oh, oh wow, where, where our lives would be in full despair. But yet just as Valerie said in the children's message, it's all about the resurrection. This is where the tables have turned. Your victory, this promise, the gift that shapes and defines each and every one of you right now, that by his very work upon that cross, his sacrifice is truly acceptable to God all for your sin. This is who you are. Purchased and redeemed and won for everlasting life. This is what you have right now. Because the empty tomb 
tells the turning story, the victory for you. For as St. Paul writes, He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Friends, we boast in no one else but Christ alone. We boast in Christ who forgives, who redeems, who delivers us from sin and the darkness of death. We boast in Christ because he is the one that turns the table for you. Amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Sermon from Faith Lutheran Church in Moorpark, California. For more information, visit us on the web at faithmoorpark.com.